all of us, in one way or another, are in pursuit of some sort of feeling. A feeling which we subjectively deem as positive, which we want to experience over and over again. Some would go so far as to describe this feeling by using the word happiness or well-being. But how should we think about this feeling? Is it just a feeling? Or is there something deeper, more easily defined, and more easily understood behind it? Can we go so far as to say that these feelings are happiness or well-being? As a psychology researcher and someone who is fascinated by our conceptions of well-being, this is a topic I seem to think and talk about all the time. How do you define happiness? What is well-being to you? How do you know that you're happy? These are questions which I constantly ask myself and others. And through asking questions like these so many times, debates arise and my perspective changes and evolves. However, over the past year, my perspective on this has reached a curious point. Even though I have had more conversations and have read much more about the subject during this time, my perspective has remained quite the same. But why? A little over a year ago, I began reading more empirical research on well-being for two projects I was developing. As I dove into the literature, I found that there was a bit of debate on how to conceptualize well-being. On one side, there is the domain of subjective well-being, which is a person's beliefs about how satisfied they are with their lives in general in a given moment. This side has always had much support, as it is easy to measure, not impossible to break down and understand at a theoretical level, and has a lot of good empirical evidence around it. At its core, it's a subjective assessment, which inherently makes it difficult to argue with. On the other side, there is psychological well-being, which diverges significantly from the theory around subjective well-being. Psychological well-being does not, reply, does not rely on open, subjective interpretations to determine whether someone is happy or is in a good place in life. Psychological well-being is more refined, certain, and quote-unquote objective, if I dare say such a word. And it should be. The idea of psychological well-being has been discussed since Aristotle wrote about the concept of eudaimonia in his ancient philosophical works. Since then, it has been thrown around between many thinkers and discussed at various levels. Carl Rogers and Abraham Maslow introduced concepts of the fully functioning person and self-actualization, which gained lots of headway and notoriety in their time. Most recently, people like Martin Seligman have brought this concept to light once again through his work on the importance of meaning in life as head of the American Psychological Association, or as you may know it as the APA. However, the spotlight should be on someone who has done her work in the dark. Her name is Dr. Carol Reif, a professor of psychology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. In the 1980s, she introduced her theory of psychological well-being and developed a scale to measure it in people. Her theory of psychological well-being was developed in an effort to honor and integrate the ideas which some of the great thinkers of the past have had around well-being and happiness. Her theory of psychological well-being had six facets. One, personal growth. You can note one's own personal development over time, seeks more experiences that promote personal growth, sees the self as a dynamic being which grows and improves 
believes one is on the path to achieving one's potential in life. Two, autonomy, which could be defined as someone who is independent, resists social pressures, evaluates the self based on personal standards and values, not those of others. Three, environmental mastery, effectively manages one's own environment for it to be aligned with one's needs and values, effectively manages all the things one is involved in, for example, work, school, relationships, etc., and makes the most of proximal opportunities. Four, purpose in life, finds meaning in past and present events, has direction in life with goals one is striving to achieve. Five, self-acceptance, accepts both the positive and negative aspects of oneself, understands oneself, or self-awareness, has accepted one's past, and maintains a positive vision slash valuation of oneself. And lastly, six, positive relationships with others, has meaningful, trusting, and strong bonds with others, thinks about others and their well-being, understands the dynamics of human relationships, is capable of being very empathetic and affectionate with others. So to repeat what those six were, their personal growth, autonomy, environmental mastery, purpose in life, self-acceptance, and positive relationships with others. So when I came across this theory and her research for the first time, I was blown away. It seemed to be an answer to all of the questions I had been having around finding a way to define happiness and well-being. It wasn't so reliant on the present. It was more holistic and long-term oriented, and it did not depend so heavily upon the subjective interpretations of people's own lives, which they will always defend to the death. And, most importantly, her research consistently supported it. So I went to my friends and colleagues to hear their thoughts and reactions to this theory. And every time I brought it up and discussed it at length with someone, they had a hard time finding holes in it. I mean, think about it. Think about a person you know who exhibits each of these qualities. Even when their quote-unquote subjective well-being is low, are they still going to find a way to be happy in their lives? When they are in challenging times in their lives, when tragedy strikes, when they are being stretched by life's circumstances, they tend to find a way to move through those periods of life and return to a stable place of well-being in due time. Those challenging moments do not tend to overcome them and take control. Instead, those people tend to overcome the challenges that arise, and this takes place in large part by recognizing and using the six facets of psychological well-being to their advantage. Now think about a person who experiences high levels of subjective well-being in spurts, yet does not possess these six facets of psychological well-being. Are they as likely to effectively cope with significantly challenging circumstances? Do they take positive lessons from those experiences and continue growing? Are they able to maintain positive emotional states through those difficult times? Well, I'll let you answer those questions. So what to do about all of this? I have a few suggestions. Number one, be 100% honest with yourself and ask yourself how you're doing on each of the six facets. What are your strengths? What are your points of improvement? How can you improve those weaker areas? Two, ask others their thoughts on how you're doing on each of the facets of psychological well-being. After this initial question, ask them what they think you can do to improve them. And three, find people who possess high levels of psychological well-being and talk to them about what they do or have done to achieve this. For example, ask them, how did you come to be so comfortable with yourself? 
Or, how did you become such an empathetic and affectionate person? Or, how do you find meaning in the things you do and have done in life? After they answer these questions, try implementing the strategies which they recommend. And if they don't know the answers, that's okay. You can always ask someone else. So there you have it. This is my take on the topic of well-being and why I think psychological well-being is incredibly underrated. I hope that this was novel information for you and I was able to provide some interesting listening here. Please feel free to comment on this and let me know what you think. And if you want more on this topic, please send some feedback to me. This recording was a reading of my second article on my blog titled Wellbeing. It's a short six-minute read, as you've just heard. And this platform really allows me to write and to express ideas at a bit of a deeper level than maybe I get to really get at in, in my normal podcast episodes. This sort of recording really allows me to, to dive in and to really be detailed and meticulous in how I explain things and think through things. In a podcast, I can kind of get scatterbrained every once in a while, as you probably noticed, but in a written form, I do tend to be more articulate and I tend to develop my ideas much more effectively. So if you'd like more content like this, feel free to go check out mattbest.net slash the platform, and you'll see uh, all of the articles that I've done on my blog so far, and um, feel free to comment on those if you have any ideas on different things that you'd like to see come next. So I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this, taking the time to support both my podcast and my blog. And um, if you have any thoughts, reactions, I'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much. Feel free to go on to mattbest.net and explore. And um, I look forward to hearing from you next time. Hope all is well. Hope you're having a great day. Cheers.